Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you, Rachel. And thank you to everyone who is tuning in again for this episode of In All Things, a podcast for the EPC. And a special thanks to those of you who have been listening in, sharing your comments. We really find those comments helpful because it helps us form and shape this time that we spend together and gives us ideas on future podcasts and things that we can do to better serve the church. And also thank you for sharing it. Uh, with others. Uh, The best way for podcasts to get legs is kind of that grassroots thing where one person shares it with others. So when you're able to share this on your social media feeds, that helps us get the word out that in all things, Christ reigns supreme. This conversation exists to help resource the local church. So we're grateful uh, for your time and your investment. And today we're excited to have in the studio a dear friend of mine, Bob Stauffer, serves as National Director of Church Health Uh, for the EPC. It's an impressive sounding title. Basically, Bob is helping all of our presbyteries think about how it is that we can resource our churches and what it means to be healthy witnesses for Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the initiatives that are taking place to help our congregations do that. And I think you'll find a lot of this information really exciting because it goes back to the very founding of the EPC and what God has put us here to do. But before we dig into that conversation, I just want you to think about some things as uh, part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church that you might want to consider. I'd like you to think uh, ahead, if you would, to this next summer to our General Assembly that will gather at Ward Church in Michigan the third week of June. The Leadership Institute that is part of that, we're going to have a couple of amazing speakers coming in this year. Perhaps uh, Bob can share with us a little bit more about that because I think those speakers, which are the best of the best, are going to be able to resource our congregations in ways in which I think they're going to find really exciting and helpful. But the entire assembly is really worth your time and effort, whether it's commissioning global workers, whether it is worship, best practice seminars, or just the fellowship of being with other brothers and sisters in Christ from around the country. Our theme this year is from Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And of course, the rest of that text is so that you might be my witnesses. How in the world could we possibly ever hope to be witnesses for Christ unless we had the power of the Holy Spirit operating in and through us? So I hope you'll put that on your calendars for this next year. Share it with others. Get your congregation sessions pastors to get on board with uh, joining us for the EPC's General Assembly at Ward Church in Michigan this summer. All right, let's turn our attention to our guest today. Bob, I'm going to ask if you would share a little bit about yourself and uh, certainly start with your family and background, but you have an interesting and unique history with the EPC, a claim that only a few people could make. And I wonder if you would just kind of uh, turn back the clock and set the stage for us in terms of your history and relationship with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, Dean. It's good to be here. My family married to my wife, Deb, for 43, coming up on 44 years now. 
So hold um, on, you got married when you were 16. I was, I was, yeah, I was six, she was three. Right. Yeah, we decided to get started early. And I'm blessed with uh, three children, all of whom are involved in ministry in one way or another, and their families, and eight grandchildren, which is, of course, the important part. Don't you wish that you could have skipped right over the children part to the grandchildren part? Had, had we known that was an opportunity, we certainly would have done that. Yes, absolutely. Very blessed by our family. My history with the EPC goes all the way back to its beginning days. I was actually in the first class ordained in the EPC, so was there for all of the um, interesting moments in the foundation and formation of the denomination. There, there weren't even presbyteries at that point. All there was was that initial gathering, right? There was an initial gathering, and in fact, they brought out a big poster board onto the stage and took the United States and drew some lines through it, and that was our first presbyteries. So we didn't really even have that many churches, but... Um, people today think our presbyteries occupy a lot of real estate. You should roll yeah, back the clock. Way back then, they were some serious travel. Yeah. <laughs> but it was such a blessing to be a part of observing that group of people who were foundational to the formation of the EPC Dr. Hess and Dr. Davis and Dr. Jumper and Dr. Scotchmer. And it was an interesting process for my ordination because obviously there were no presbyteries. And so these guys all sat in the front row and they put us on a stage and there we were. That can, was, can you say terrifying? It was, it was, <laughs> yes. I, I still have tremors sometimes at night thinking about it, but it was, uh, you know, a blessing to be a part of all those early discussions and why are we a denomination and what's going to be distinctive about who we are and what's important about who we are and why don't we just join one of the other denominations and being a very young guy and listening into those conversations was an amazing, amazing blessing. And now fast forward a little bit. You've been a um, pastor of a church. You've been a church planter. You've done church development work. Currently, you're a transitional pastor, even as you serve in this role as our church health coordinator. So you've been a practitioner all of your life. And so a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about in a few minutes is not theory for you. These are things that you've actually had the opportunity to live out and work out. Yeah. And, and I also had the opportunity for about four years to be what we called at the time the national outreach director. So this is back to some of my early roots in doing that as it's well. So. back to the future. Back for, to the for future. You, right. Well, speaking of back to the future, as we have been moving forward in areas of church health, we've discovered something, and it's, it's not necessarily rocket science, but we've discovered something that is of seminal importance, and that is the, the, the reason why the EPC came into existence. You talked about early on there, why do we exist as opposed to joining other denominations. There's a unique DNA to the EPC, there is a, um, all of the founding documents point to our reason for being, why we as a denomination actually exist that is kind of our distinctive and our focus. Could you speak to that a little bit? As the um, early fathers of the denomination began to talk about this, they decided that there were a couple things that were of seminal importance. The first of those was that one of the things that would distinguish us from other denominations, was a consistent, prevalent, ongoing passion for the priority of evangelism. That evangelism had to come first in everything we do. And so that's been reflected in our documents, and uh, we've talked a little bit about that and how it appears in the 
Book of Order and all the other places that this is the first duty of the it's, church. It's actually stunning. If people haven't, I, I know it's a real page turner and people have it by their bedside table every night and take it in. But if you go back and look through the Book of Order, you'll find in the opening paragraphs of what the purpose of a session is, what the purpose of a presbytery is, what the purpose of the general assembly is. Each of the judicatories has its primary reason for being in ensuring that the Great Commission is happening. Absolutely. It was really the primary driving, motivating factor for saying that no matter what else happens, this will drive what we do. And therefore the E in the EPC, right? Exactly. I wish I could say, yes, you know, that has always been our culture. That has always been our reality. Our congregations are all deeply engaged in uh, the Great Commission. But you and I both know that's just not the case. And so we're doubling down on the E part of EPC and really with a focus on what it means to be evangelistic and what it means to do evangelism, that seems to be seminal to this notion of church health. Talk us a little bit about what is, from a strategy standpoint, as you resource presbyteries, what are the resources that we're starting to consider and what are the opportunities that are going to be available to us to start with the resources themselves and where they come from and what they're designed to do. And we'll unpack that a little bit more in our conversation. And then we want to end with how, when they come to the general assembly this year, that will actually be rolled out and helpful to them. One little preamble to that is structure. How do we deliver resources from various parts of the denomination and leaders of the denomination to the local church. And so we have been working with our presbyteries trying to develop a, a structural process that allows us to be able to deliver and touch the local church. And we're not talking about Amazon here or UPS. Right. right. We've been trying to identify coordinators, in each church health coordinators in each of the presbyteries. Through the coordinators, we will develop a coaches in the various presbyteries, and then the coaches who actually can work directly with the church, starting with the idea that the church is the foundation of what we do. How do we deliver resources to a church? Through a coach. How do we find the coaches? Through coordinators. How do we find coordinators? Through our church health team. And that way we have a vehicle to deliver the resources that you're speaking of. It's important to, to note here that the way the EPC goes about doing something like this is we recognize God's best plan for the world is the local church. God's, and so resources to us flow to the local church. It is not that the resources flow up and somehow we have this large national bloated bureaucracy that tries to do everything for people. We have way too much context, way too much particularity. How a church is going to be healthy in Louisiana is different than how it's going to be healthy in, say, upstate New York. So there's a lot of contextualization that has to occur. And presbyteries are in a much better position because they're regional to be able to help resource these churches. So basically what we do at the Office of the General Assembly is help support the presbyteries, and that's what you're talking about with these coordinators. That's exactly right. Presbyteries can speak to their own situations far better than we can from a General Assembly level, both in terms of capacity and relationships and all of those things. So having this structure in place is important to be able to deliver the resources. Okay, so now you've got the structure in place. We're working on that. That's in process, making a lot of great moves there. What are the resources that we hope to make available into that structure? So for me, as you and I talked about my first coming on to this position and what it would look like, uh, I think our very first meeting down here at the office, it's 
something that God has really laid on my heart is the absolute priority of evangelism. Um, and this is the back to the future thing. Having watched what happened and watched us develop over the years, but uh, knowing there's much more we can be doing in the area of evangelism. And so for me, that really is the driving factor. And a healthy church uh, can or is not a lot of things, but I do know that a healthy church is a church that's doing evangelism. Right. There's probably more that can be said, but if you can't say that, you really can't say you have a healthy church. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so we have been um, in conversation and partnering with a group of pastors and folks in the West Palm area, West Palm Beach, Florida, and it's called Family Church. They are a group of people who are uh, in a very unreached people group in South Florida. They have a vision to plant 100 churches in 10 to 15 years through evangelism. Uh, As part of that process, they've developed a tool called Three Circles, and it's being used in many places across the world now. I have some familiarity with it because my son-in-law is a part of that group, and so I've got to see it up close and personal, and it's an amazing tool. So one of the things that really struck me as I started to think, well, if we really wanted to develop a culture of evangelism in our denomination and in our presbytery and in our churches, what are the things that are going to be necessary to make that happen? And I feel like one of the most important building blocks is we have to have a way to share the gospel well. I think there's power and synergy in having something we can all share and do together across the face uh, of the denomination. And there are lots of other things out there, but this is a tool that we've been uh, talking with them about using as part of our evangelistic strategy, and I'm, I'm actually really very excited about it. So we can make the comment that this tool fits our reform theology. Um, it follows what uh, people might call a creation, fall, redemption, restoration kind of framework. And we can talk about all of that, but let's talk about the value of having one tool that we're all kind of pulling in the same direction. Now, granted, we're never going to say to a congregation, you must use this. We're not a regulatory top-down group. We're never going to say something like that. And honestly, if another congregation has another tool that they're using or a way of doing evangelism that's wildly successful, we want them to continue to do that. And we want to learn from that. We want to hear from them. But most of our congregations don't. And so having one EPC sort of branded tool that our leadership has kind of tested, there could be a real strategic advantage to that. It's a tool that's proven, it's adaptable, it's visual, and gives us a lot of advantages in uh, its simplicity and just its, its usage is so easy. I think one of the things that happen is if we say something like, well, there's lots of tools out there, so just use one. I think it largely paralyzes congregations. Uh, there's too many choices, and we're all doing different things and pulling in different directions. But I think the power of synergy of picking one tool and saying, certainly we recognize there are other things out there and there are other opportunities, but this one is something that fits us well. And if we can talk about it through all the layers and uh, common use common language throughout the denomination, it gives it a synergy that I think will be extremely powerful as we move into the future. So just a disclaimer for those who are listening in today, we recently had the leaders from Family Church come in and facilitate a training using the three circles with our national leadership team, because leaders lead, the leaders needed to be able to uh, experience firsthand what that training would look like, and it was a blast. I think people were stunned at how simple it was, how theologically solid it was, 
how accessible and easy it was. You don't have to be an evangelist to be able to do this. And the interesting thing is, right, the Bible does not say everybody is going to have the spiritual gift of evangelism. I have some friends who are evangelists, and I marvel at the way they can get communications going, conversations that immediately turn to the gospel. I have to think intentionally about that, be purposeful about that. So we're not all gifted to be evangelists, but we are all called, even commanded, to be witnesses. The problem is most of us just simply don't know how to do it. And this is a resource to help anybody, including kids, how, how they can communicate the faith in a real simple way. Okay, so that's pretty exciting. Oh, well, let's go to General Assembly real quickly, because all of this is going to lead up to if people did come to General Assembly, and I gave a little promo for that at the beginning of this podcast, people did come to General Assembly, we've got some great resourcing for them there. Could you explain a little bit of what, what they might anticipate if they come to this year's GA? We're very excited to have Dr. Jimmy Scroggins, who is kind of the leader and founder of this movement. He has been called to speak all over the world now on evangelism, and this tool is really a worldwide tool that's adaptable to cultures and ethnicities and languages. So Jimmy and Todd are going to be coming to do two things at the uh, Tuesday morning session. One is uh, they are going to actually teach us how to use the tool. So it will be a very practical experience in uh, having people kind of work through what that looks like and feels like. And then Jimmy is going to help us address the topic, what is necessary to create an evangelistic culture in our denomination? And what's necessary to create an evangelistic culture in our presbyteries? And what's necessary to actually create an evangelistic culture in our churches. So it's more than just the ability to use this tool and share your faith. My passion and dream is that evangelism becomes a part of the DNA of every church. And setting that culture and setting that DNA is something different than just having a tool, though that's a part of it. But I think God's going to really unleash his spirit when we get committed to creating these cultures in our various judicatories. And I think we're coming into this incredibly opportune time, Bob, where the opportunities to share the gospel are going to start to present themselves in the ways that we haven't seen in a long period of time, because everything that can be shaken is being shaken, so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. And, and we're going through in this global pandemic, this incredible time of shaking, where everything that was certain, everything that was stable, everything that was solid is being shaken. And there's going to be an opportunity, I think, here for Christians to be able to uh, probably will face persecution in, in, in the coming years. There's a lot of people forecasting that based on the things that we're seeing. If persecution does come, then it, it, church history and the scriptures itself teach us that that becomes the primary opportunity time when God's people get to be a witness. Because interestingly enough, the, the Greek word for witness in, in Acts 1.8 is martyrios, where we get the word martyr from. So being a witness can be even to that extreme of, of, of martyrdom. We put that in our uh, every Thursday night at General Assembly when we commission our global workers. That's now one of their vows. But perhaps that is something that every follower of Jesus needs to consider more seriously, that we're all called to be witnesses to the point of giving our lives uh, for the gospel. Think about Jesus who did everything for us. How can we not, out of the grace extended to us, want to offer that in, in return? To your point, we all certainly have personal responsibilities for evangelism, but we also have corporate responsibilities as a church to do evangelism. 
And one of the things that's very interesting to me is I kind of tried to understand what what's God doing in this pandemic because it didn't catch him by surprise. But what opportunities are being created for the church? Where's God at work that allows us to be an expression of the love of Christ? And, and one of the things that many people around the country in church health circles, um, Tom Rayner and Ed Stetzer and some others, are, are beginning to say is that churches are being driven back to their neighborhoods mm-hmm. and that the idea of a neighborhood church is going to be so critical to churches identifying themselves with their communities, serving those communities well, in order to build relationships with people who are far from Jesus. And if we're going to do that, it's for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Some statistics are beginning beginning to kind of float around that in the next two to three years, people will rarely drive more than four miles from their home to go to church. That people have actually been through the pandemic, been driven back to their neighborhoods. So as the church, I hope we take that as an opportunity. It's, it's not a threat. It's an opportunity for us to really engage well with our communities for the ultimate purpose of sharing the gospel, but having a vehicle, serving them well, building relationships with them so that we have the opportunity to share I, the good. I think the relationships is the secret sauce there, right? You can't, in young life, we used to say you have to earn the right to be heard. If you don't have a relationship with someone, you're never going to have the open door of opportunity. But if you have a relationship, when a moment of crisis comes along uh, and everybody has them, then they're going to turn and you'll be surprised at the Holy Spirit opening the door of opportunity for, for someone to start a conversation by saying, well, when I went through something like that, let me tell you what was really helpful for me. And then you're, you're off and running. As we wrap this conversation down, and we'll probably want to have you back at a future date, Bob, to unpack because there's so much to talk about, there are a few other things going on in church health. If you could just kind of hit a high points of each of those, we can't, get, can't go deep today, but just give us the high points of some other things in terms of church health that your team is working on for the EPC. Two things in particular. One is now that we are putting this structure in place, really writing and creating the resources that come from a number of places, some of the Go Center stuff that I we had used before and throughout the EPC, some influences from Vital Church and some other resources. So we have been writing a training process for our coordinators, who then will take that process to train coaches who then can use those principles in church health. So that's been a pretty big thing to wrap our heads around and grateful for our national team who's helping us do that. The second part of it, so my three areas are evangelism, church health, and transitional pastoring. And we've been working for a little while now in the area of transitional pastoring. I think it's an important church health tie because, in my opinion, one of the greatest opportunities to inject church health principles into a church is during a time of transition. Why is that? The patterns are already broken. The rhythms of the church are kind of broken. The leader has gone. And so there's that unsettledness that many churches kind of rush to fill in with, well, let's get a search team up and get somebody here in 15 minutes because we might all fall apart if somebody's not here. The second part of it is this is a time naturally when a church will turn to a presbytery for help. And so our encouragement is hopefully to say to these churches, Rather than speed up and get through it, let's slow down and take this as an opportunity to do some good self-assessment for where we are as the church, because churches are historically poor at self-assessment if they ever think of it at all. And so it's not somebody assessing them, but giving them tools to self-assess, then help them to think about mission and vision and strategy, the second component. And then the third component, how do we develop a healthy search process based on what we've learned about who we are and where we're going? So this, I think, is an opportune time for the church to stop, take a minute, 
take a breath, assess, think about mission and vision so that we know who we are, where we're going in order to find the right next senior leader who will participate in that with us. So we've been doing trainings. We have a couple of trainings coming up, but I've been doing trainings kind of around the country. Hopefully at some point we'll be able to do these trainings in every presbytery so that as churches are in transition, we take this as an opportunity, a God moment to inject these kinds of principles into the life of the church. As I'm hearing you share all of these things, Bob, I'm reminded of that passage from Ecclesiastes. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, this brings us back to our roots. This brings us back to our core DNA. This brings us back to why we were formed as the EPC. And the fact that you were there in the beginning and you're here now leveraging all of these years of wisdom and experience and all these different capacities for the betterment of the church. I know I'm blessed by it and I'm grateful for the vision and the energy and the creativity you bring. In closing, two things. One is uh, Scroggins has a book that maybe if people are interested in this three circles of evangelism they could get. And then how would people get in contact with you if they need help with either church growth or church health or transitional pastors? The book is called Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations. And the the author is Jimmy Scroggins. Jimmy Scroggins is the author, yes. And the idea here is that our evangelism ought to be conversational. It's relational, as you alluded to before. And so it gives some very specific examples of how to do that. It's also called The Three Circles. And there's a downloadable app for your phone so that all this can be put onto your phone. It's called Life on Mission. And so we're going to be talking about all these resources, and they have many, many more student ministry resources, children's resources, all kinds of things that are a part of that. So we're going to be excited to introduce all that at at General Assembly. The second question is if people want to get a hold of me, uh, they can get a hold of me through the denominational offices. My stuff is on the website, so phone and telephone number. And our hope uh, long-term is that when presbyteries or churches in a presbytery are looking for help, This is what the coordinators will do. Currently, we have 12 coordinators in place that are coming for training next month. So that'll be a very exciting moment, at least for me, in the (laughs) life and focus of the denomination. And hopefully, over time, all of our presbyteries will have these coordinators, and they will really be the point person for those local churches. Well, it's ineffective to have everybody in the denomination calling you, but if they can call their own coordinator at their presbytery, then that's a win. Well, Bob, thank you. Appreciate you being here today. I think in the future, we'll want to have you back for some deep dives. I could see a a whole podcast on transitional pastoring. I could see a whole podcast on uh, church health and what the assessment process looks like and how churches could access that. So there's a lot of good stuff for us to dig into maybe in, in a future date. But I think right now, just great to introduce you back to the denomination again, let people know what the Lord is doing so that they can begin to plug in and their churches can be better equipped witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dean. Well, my friends, as we wrap up this time together, just that reminder to you from God's word as to why it is that we are gathering. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, or in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things, all things hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church. 
to his glory and praise alone. Until the next time when you join us for In All Things in the EPC, my name is Dean Weaver, and I pray that you would help us spread the word. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.